Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Oh, no, give me a break. Oh, brother. Wrestling. My name is John McAdam. We are going to continue our conversation about Georgia Championship Wrestling from 1982. So far, the show has gotten a really good response, which makes me very happy. Thank you in advance, or thank you again. And uh, before we get rolling, I just want to remind everyone that you want to join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, put in Stick to Wrestling, and ask to be admitted, and you will actually automatically I will put you in if you want to follow me on Twitter just put in John McAdam and the guy with the stick to wrestling logo is the guy you're you're going to want to be following I'm getting a lot more Twitter requests which is good one quick thing side note Vincent and I were talking about Bob Backlund doing that wheel exercise for an hour right so I'm like okay I have this wheel I haven't touched it and like I want to say almost a year I haven't touched it and I'm like you know what I am going to work on this thing and I'm going to do an hour on it. So the plan was, okay, I'll do a minute. Then the next time I'll do two minutes, three minutes. I did 60 seconds on this damn wheel two days ago and my abs still hurt and Bob could do it for an hour. So give the guy credit and let's get rolling with part two of this episode. All right, next we have an interview with the mass superstar and the super destroyer. Let's hear that now. They're helping Thor get to his feet now. I want to take a moment to talk to uh, the national tag team champion. We got a great big tall goon running around out here, calling himself Ron Fuller, the Georgia stud, saying he took a mask off me. Well, I'm telling you people out there, he didn't take no mask off of me at any time. He went into my locker room while I was taking a shower one day and picked it out of my bag, and now he's running out here on television saying that he stole a mask off me. Well, Mr. Fuller, you don't go around stealing a man's personal property without having to pay a price for it. And son, you're going to pay a price anytime, any place I can find you. I'm going to get you. You start looking over your shoulder, boy, because I'm coming after you anytime, any place. And that superstar is going to be right with me to take care of that big goon you got riding with you. You know, Gordon, you get all these individuals that come from the West Coast, you're coming from the North, you're coming from the South. You got Stan Hansen out here at Ole. Ole Anderson, you got Rose, you have uh, the Japanese team. All these individuals come out and they say, you know, we're the top, we're the best from the West, we're the best from the North, we're the best from Japan. This belt here is not a state belt. It's not a citywide belt. It's not a regional belt. It's not even a district belt. This championship belt is a national championship. Now, everybody comes out here and tells everybody what they're going to do and who they beat up. You're looking at the champions, fellas. I don't care who you talk about and what you spout off. You got to beat us to become the best. Now the championship is at stake. We don't care if it's Piper, Ole Anderson, Tommy Rich. You put the team there and we'll sign the contract. We didn't come across these belts by just going into the ring and somebody gave them to us and said, hey, you guys can have the belt. Don't hurt us. And don't tell me about hurting people because I destroyed a couple of opponents myself. I don't like anybody when you stand in my way. Now, if you think I can get nasty, get in the ring. If you think you're going to just step over us and take these belts and use us as a stepping stone to become the champions, you're wrong. We're the champions, and we're going to be the world champions. Thank you so very much, gentlemen. Right now... I absolutely loved the Super Destroyer here claiming that Ron Fuller went into his gym bag while he was taking his shower and stole a mask. That is healing, ladies and gentlemen. Everyone's sitting there going, you slimy heel. We know you're lying. That didn't happen. Ron Fuller unmasked you. Again, I'm going to respectfully disagree. The, The Super Destroyer, as good as he was, was completely overshadowed by the mass superstar. I mean, I, I mean, maybe I'm just have a soft spot for the mass superstar. Oh no, he was fantastic here. I just wanted to say that like, that was a great heelish. I mean, mass superstar. Once again, this is why you've got to watch the, because mass superstar is dangling the national championship or a national uh, tag team championship belt and explaining that, you know, this isn't a, a city title. This isn't a state title. We're the national champions. 
Bill Eady, uh, I guess in retrospect, I mean, don't, don't tell me about the Mongol or the, even the demolition acts or facts, but, uh, mass superstar was just fantastic. And he was just, I, and that's, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to allocate all my brain power to watching what he did because he was, he was a, a, a super villain come to life and like a realistic super villain. Like he was just, you could just st- see him standing on a evil castle and just <laughs> saying his proclamations. Like, uh, you know, and, and even here, like he, he wasn't at his peak yet. I mean, he was, he was still on his way up and he was still getting better. Um, I remember like, I think it was a year or two later and, and WWF or WWF where he had that feud with Backlund just before Backlund lost the belt to Iron Cheek. I want to say maybe it was just like, he was the heel right beforehand. Right. He he was uh, the Backlund's opponent on the Madison Square Garden show, the last Madison Square Garden show before Backlund lost to Iron to Iron Sheik. So there was a, like a random TV TV taping where Backlund says, "I'm going to show you, you know, what a real athlete I am, and I'm I'm doing this ab wheel thing now, which is a which is a difficult thing. I, you know, the first time I ever did that, I was sore for literally six or seven days. I have for one straight of those. hour. You have one of them for an hour is unthinkable for me. I mean, yeah. So again, Backlund just like he just he just puts this out there like I'm I'm just gonna do this for a straight hour while the matches go on. He does it. I mean, he's showing like how legit he is. I'm like, wow, Backlund is like I wouldn't want to mess with that guy. And like, Mass Superstar cuts a promo where he just tears that apart in like three seconds, and it's just like, and you believe that not just that he believes what he's saying, but he 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 may, may be giving a legit point that like. I don't care if you do that for two hours or three hours or four hours, I will destroy you. Just, you believe that he, he believes it, but it's also probably true. And he's just like, he's a unit. I mean, he's a good looking guy. Like he's not, he was never a bodybuilder, but like he looks like a real athlete. He can, the way he carries himself with the confidence. I mean, the master, I can't stop. We could spend a whole hour just gushing about the mass superstar. I, one great thing about Mass Superstar doing interviews is he was one of the better wrestlers back in this era who had different gears. Like one example, Magnum yeah. TA would go out there and scream at the camera every Saturday and it got old. I'm sorry. Mass Superstar could do an interview where he is as calm as can be, as quiet as can be. And then he could do an interview like the one he just did where he gets a little bit agitated. I mean, take any aspect of the mass superstar, how he looks, physique, outfit, promos, in-ring work. At his absolute worst, he was very good. I I mean, mass superstar, uh, he, he was, I, I mean, I think he was an all-time great. It's too bad for him that the the mask gimmick got old right around. Oh, he was, I mean, it was definitely out by the the mid eighties, and but he was still really good as Demolition X. Yeah, I mean, he's he's timeless. All of the stuff is held up. Um, I would put him up against anybody, anytime. <laughs> like, and he would he would hold his own. All right. As much as we love Mass Superstar, we can't get enough of a new NWA champion Ric Flair. He's been champion for about five months. Uh, let's hear once again from Ric Flair. And I thought this was such a tremendous follow-up from his argument with Tommy Rich. Let's go to that. And a gentleman who has reached the absolute apex of his career, the world heavyweight champion Ric Flair is with us. Wouldn't it be nice, Gordon Soley? Wouldn't it truly be nice if someone could come out here and try to convince the wrestling world that they can emulate me? No way, right? We know it. There's only one. And I apologized a little while ago. I got real upset at you, Gordon Soley. I get upset very easily when people try to downgrade me and most of all try to slight this. I hear Hanson, I hear Anderson, Piper, the Briscoes, the Funks, Rich. They all talk about what they're going to do, where they've been, where they're going. But if you're honest, now you be very honest with yourself. You all wish more than anything in the world that you could be standing here holding this 10 pounds of gold, making 500000 a year, and driving the women wild. You understand what I'm telling you? Ric Flair does it all from head to toe. And Harley Race. I don't care 
If you were the world champion ten times, when you and I meet, partner, you're going to have to prove to me all over again. You're going to have to prove to a lot of other people that you're ready to fill the shoes of the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Ric Flair has made this a little more prestigious than it ever, ever was before. Think about it long and hard. Ric Flair, the legend, for a long, long time, Gordon Sterling. All right, there you have it. The comments from the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Ric Flair, and he is rapidly becoming a legend in his own time. We have an outstanding matchup coming right now. We just talked about how great Mass Superstar was at, at switching right. gears during his interviews. Ric Flair does a, an awesome job here. He acknowledges that he lost his composure earlier in the show, which is a great way of just putting that whole thing over. And he's got his composure back now. Everything's okay. Rick's had a chance to calm down, which once again, I think, makes the previous segment even better. I mean, John, don't get either of us started on Ric Flair and his greatness. And how do you rank that? And, you know, it's it's like a LeBron James situation, the sense of like the longevity of, of high performance. Of course, Ric Flair in 82 is going to give a fantastic promo, put everybody else over and then, and then put himself even over them. And it just, it throws off the whole scale. Like if you wanted to do Mount Rushmore or a top 10, it's just the body of work and the quality and consistency is obviously there. I mean, I once made a list of the top 10 U.S. and Canada matches of the 80s, and all, all 10 of them were Ric Flair matches. That's how dominant he was in that decade. I also thought there was always an interesting relationship on camera relationship between Ric Flair and Gordon Soley, despite the fact that Throughout the Gordon Soley era on WTBS, uh, every time Ric Flair came out, I mean, he acted like he, uh, Rick is a heel, and Gordon Soley were the were best friends. He treated Gordon not just with respect, but with reverence. I think that's a larger discussion as far as, like, you hear people, and, and I have all the respect in the world for Jake the Snake Roberts and his, his wrestling brain, I'm sure, just beats the shit out of mine, but... He talks about, you know, a heel should just be a cowardly, sniveling, whatever. I think it can be more than that. And there's so many different shades of heel. And I think to me, it makes a heel more advanced and higher up in my mind when they have credibility. When they, they not just believe in their mind, but they can put out there that, like, they have a good case for their whole worldview. So uh, Flair coming out and giving reverence to Gordon, it's like, obviously, yeah, Gordon deserves... Gordon Sully deserves respect and he's a good announcer and it, it kind of throws a question in your mind, a little bit of doubt. Like, is this guy really the heel? I could see that. You know what? We're deep into this conversation and I have not given Gordon Soley anywhere near enough credit for what a phenomenal job he does. Not only as an announcer, but as an interviewer, as the guy who's kind of the center of the show. Right. It's not just, obviously, it's not just Flair. It's, it's, it's Gordon Soli himself just keeping an even keel and keeping the show ahead of everything and, and, you know, highlighting what you need to highlight at that moment. Yeah. I mean, he really, I mean, he fell off. Um, but I mean, during this period, he is absolutely phenomenal. All right. Now we've got a match coming up. Jim Garvin against Bobby Garrett. Uh, by the way, this show, they always did. They, it was like, it was two shows. They presented it as two shows. Like, okay, we have the first hour, and that's its own show. And we have the second hour, that's its own show. And no one wrestled twice on the first hour, uh, but guys wrestled twice uh, on the same evening. There was nothing wrong with that. Uh, one thing I noticed about Jim Garvin he is big here. I mean, he looks like he's been hitting the iron like crazy. Yeah, I mean, this was not the fatter, dorkier Garvin. I remember trying to out-cringe Michael Hayes in the late 80s and early 90s. <laughs> that was a cringe race. Yeah, I mean, who can out-cringe the other? Um, here, he's showing good skills. At the Again, this, if you're looking at following the YouTube video at about at the hour and 20-minute mark, 
you have him not just working an arm bar, you have the subtle detail of the D in the face with zero daylight and a close up. And then a few seconds later, I think Garrett tries to spin out of a hammer lock. It's caught in the headlock. Garvin's trying to maintain the hammer. Again, just, I'm going to keep bringing this back. Realism, subtlety. And I don't know if this was just, you know, Ole just giving people a pep talk in the back. <laughs> just like, this is, this is what we're trying to present, fellas. I mean, there's subtle infighting. And I, I just really appreciate that detail. I appreciate it as well. And one thing I liked about the match is it started off like, you know, Bobby Garrett's not cheating. He's clearly kind of the heel. Garvin's the baby face. And then Garrett suckers Garvin and Garvin loses his cool and like really goes after him. And we had not seen that yet during this, this program. Yeah. Right. Again, just variety. I mean, and that's what you would expect. You have enough different fights. Every fight, you should see something you didn't see in the other one. And that's, I mean, that's clearly what they're doing here. And I I can't think it's a coincidence. And now we talk about wrestling currently. I mean, how many angles do they run on every episode of Raw, every episode of SmackDown? We get our first angle of the show here, about 75% of the way done. Jimmy Garvin catches Bobby Garrett in the sleeper and Buzz Sawyer runs in and attacks Jimmy Garvin from behind over something that happened like weeks ago when Jimmy Garvin beat Buzz Sawyer on TV. And from this point on, Buzz Sawyer uh, steals a show and just leaves an indelible mark. And I guess I'm going to foreshadow, I guess one of my criticisms is that between the first hour and the second hour, neither of them and both of them have what's really like cast as like the main event. So if I had to pick out something to me that shines as a main event, it's Buzz Sawyer. I can see that. I, I thought Buzz, when I was watching this, I'm like, here's a guy who a year from now could be challenging Bob Backlund at Madison Square Garden. I mean, he, he definitely has some potential. But yeah, I mean, Buzz, it, it, Buzz beat the crap out of Jimmy Garvin. I mean, it, it looked realistic enough. Buzz beat the crap out of anybody that he touched throughout the whole show. I mean, he was just out of control. I mean, he was, to me, uh, a uh, big Papa Pump Scott Steiner before Scott Steiner. You know, I was buzzing. He was unhinged. Yeah. Buzz wrestles in the last match, and I was saving this for that, but I'll talk about that now. Now, it's February 27th, very early in the year. Back in like December, January, and I, you people are going to say, no, you're wrong. That's crazy. I don't believe that. You're pulling my leg. No. They were trying just like a month or two ago to push Buzz Sawyer as like a heartthrob type. I, I'm serious. He's, <laughs> I, I'm serious. And, and, and it's out there. And if you look for it, they've got Buzz out in front of the camera, like posing. And he is very muscular. And he's got a crew cut. And he's talking about, you know, getting all the cards and letters from the ladies and trying to be a ladies man. And by this point, like a month or so later, it looks like they've given up on that. The crew cut's gone. Buzz is growing his his hair out, and he's got a beard, and he's not talking like that anymore. Yeah, that that, that makes more sense. But I also want to mention the, the fact that, again, let's talk about the booking. Because we're over an hour in. We've had show one. We're in show two. This is the first one with a run-in. And, and even that one... I don't think it, um, it's, it's one thing if it results in a non-clean finish, right? Like I hit the guy, then the other guy pins the guy, even though he was losing the match. I think this was just a DQ with the Garrett match, Garvin Garrett. It was, yeah. Um, so again, it's just like, it's just better booking. It's just better. It's objectively better than what we've spent most of our years watching from different promotions. I I will continue along that route because I agree with you. The next match is Buzz Sawyer against Tim Horner. And I remember watching it thinking like, if I'm Jim Garvin, I am not staying in that dressing room. I'm coming out and getting some revenge here. But then you get Roddy Piper talking during the match. And he's like, no, Jim Garvin, I know he probably wants to come out here, but he's too beat up. He, He shouldn't even be watching. He should be getting medical attention. So, Now you're like, okay, well, that's why Jimmy Garvin's not coming out. So they wrestle the match. It's Buzz Sawyer and Tim Horner. Buzz is, has dominated. Tim Horner is throwing him around, goes for the pin and picks him up. 
And then he does it again, and the referee warns him. Now Jimmy Garvin comes flying out of the dressing room, right? Makes sense. He's pounding on Buzz Sawyer for maybe 10 seconds. And then Buzz's friends, Kevin Sullivan and Ron Bass, are right there. And they run in the ring, and it's three-on-one. And you have that booking where it's almost like you knew Buzz was ready for Jim Garvin to come out and get his revenge, and he had his friends ready to run in in case Garvin showed his face. I thought it was phenomenal. The whole thing was phenomenal, so logical, but let's let's not gloss over the match itself. Um, I want to go back to Buzz Sawyer, like, I mean, then and now, and if you're the opponent, if you're the, in the audience, if you're in the ring, if you're Buzz Sawyer himself, like, did he know it was a work? Buzz always wrestled rather stiff with guys. I mean, you could tell you didn't need to read a, a, a newsletter to be very impressed or, or to notice that Buzz was a lot less, a lot more snug with his opponents than anyone else. It just, if I'm, you know, if I'm the audience, which I am like then or now, it's like, it, it helps me believe it. If it seems like he believes it, if his, his opponent, I'm sure was a believer. And I'm sure if you're, if you're Jim Cornette, you're going to, you're going to give this match five stars. I, I think if I recall, he can't really stand Tim Horner. Didn't, doesn't he have a, a background with him? Uh, yeah, I think I know Jim and Tim Horner had a falling out. uh, I want to say 92 when, uh, Tim Horner, I I don't know what happened, but I was told by Brian Hildebrand that Horner was in charge of the merchandise and there was merchandise gone and there was not money there. So that was kind of the. Uh, that was kind of the accusation uh, that, that Brian made that uh, Tim Horner may have been skimming off the top. So it kind of helps me with my suspension of disbelief. If I'm like, okay, maybe this guy deserves the beat down. And um, it just, it just to me harkens back again to, to Scott Steiner and his big Papa pump days. What would made that much watch TV is like, this guy is just completely out of control you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin for a small fraction of time was like truly uh, mesmerizing because you believe that he believed and he probably did believe in that moment that like he's just what he is. And that was Buzz Sawyer. Buzz Sawyer is that guy that is just like, okay, no, no, that guy is really just completely out of control. <laughs> like, and let me give a specific, uh, you know, if anyone's following along with the YouTube video for this particular show, about the one hour, 24 minute, 40 second mark, Gordon refers to it as a high leg pickup. And it's just like, they're in a scramble and, uh, Buzz Sawyer, you know, just, he, he hops off the ground so quick and he goes from all just being on, on the ground to just like, he just picks himself up. He, he runs straight into a, a single leg, just like seamlessly. He picks him up into like a death Valley driver position. And then like, and then works him into a power slam as it comes down. And it doesn't look, it doesn't necessarily look that, it doesn't look like he's going to try to spike the guy and kill him, but it doesn't look safe either. No, it doesn't. I mean, Buzz, Buzz had that really effective power slam. I, you know what? Little side tangent on, on Tim Horner. About a month ago, I watched this, this so-called shoot interview with him, and he was talking a little bit about his career, and he was talking about the deal with the Road Warriors. Uh, he pinned Road Warrior Hawk on WTBS in 1984, and apparently Animal didn't want him to do it, and Animal told him, you know, once that bell rings, like to end the match, you better be out of there. Cause if you're not, I'm going after you for real. And I'm like, wow. okay, I, I believe this. And then Tim Horner's like, yeah. And then we went around the horn and I had different, uh, uh, partners every night against the road warriors and we were selling out every night. I'm like, okay, I no <laughs> longer believe a word. This guy right. says, uh, all no, right. But I, I, I believe that, that Buzz Sawyer was kicking his ass and there was nothing he could do about it. I mean, there was, there was points where, they just kind of like land and then Sawyer just gets up in such a quick scramble that even if you were trying, even if this was all cooperation, like it wouldn't have made a difference. Uh, Buzz is just so quick on all fours. He doesn't let up. He's got no laziness at all in the ring at that moment. So I just, I was impressed and I didn't want to gloss over what happens before Ron Bass and Kevin Sullivan run in. Well, I'll, I'll and, say and, this. And it's a logical run in. 
Yeah, it totally was. And like I said, they they set it up so it's like, okay, Buzz kind of knew it was coming and he had his buddies ready to run in. And But, you know, I, I mean, Buzz showed up at WTBS, I want to say middle of 81. He turned babyface at the end of 1983. So that's about two and a half years. Buzz did this to someone every single week. And I mean, it looked brutal. He'd like rub their faces in the mat and stuff. And it looked like, you know, this guy was just deranged. He was a, re- you know, he was small, but he was really good at what he did. But what's so slick is by having Bass and Sullivan run in so quickly, it's not just a matter of it's logical because, you know, you ran in on me and I'm running in on you. But now we're sending in heels to, out, you know, um, make the numbers unfair. So we're keeping the heat on the heel, which is Buzz, which is just, you know, again, brilliance on Ole's part. And he deserves the credit. Uh, absolutely. It was done. So once again, that word, it was done subtly, but you could see it. It's like, you know, Buzz was ready for Jim Garvin to try to get revenge. All right. While we're talking about these guys, let's have an interview with the three bad guys, Ron Bass, Kevin Sullivan, and Buzz Sawyer, and then Tommy Rich makes an appearance. And uh, they're clearing the ring. I'll go to help him, but I got a sore rib, Mr. Sawyer. That's what happens when you're in fair in our business, boy. We look after ourselves. We look after and we protect each other. So Garvin, Armstrong, Rich, Rose, any of you back there, you better believe us gentlemen right here. We're going to be looking after each other from now on, boy. Let me tell you something. It's a good thing we pulled Buzz off him or he would have killed Garvin. Jimmy Garvin, you're nothing but a dog. Well, yeah, okay, I, I think we've heard quite enough. Uh, Tommy, I don't want any troubles here now. But... Yeah, they're really tough. Three on one, you know, I, I, don't, I don't blame Garvin. You know, you can only take so much, Gordon. You know, Buzz come out on his match, so he came back. He seemed like he's always got a little backup. You know, he ain't got the guts he says he's got. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, I, I can understand how you feel about that, and obviously that situation between... Sawyer and Garvin will have to come to a head. Perhaps we can get it here on television uh, or what have you. But, Tommy, of course, uh, I think you and I should talk about the fact that a lot of uh, very important things are coming down. And, uh, of course, you're planning on uh, going off on quite a tour very shortly. Well, yes, sir, we're going back up on the northern tour. You know, Monday we're going to be in Charleston, West Virginia. we getting a lot of fan mail from there. And we're going to Lansing, Michigan, Tuesday. Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. You know, it's, and the fan mail's coming in. And then Thursday we're in, uh, Thursday we're in Toledo and Dayton, Ohio, and, and it's just a big tour they got planned. We're up there for a whole week. I'll tell you what, it's going to be a great tour indeed. And of course, don't forget uh, tomorrow night at the Omni. It's going to be an especially critical night. Well, Ron Bass kind of confirmed what I was thinking. He talks about how we, the three of us, protect each other. So we kind of know in that storyline that Ron Bass and Kevin Sullivan were kind of waiting for Jimmy Garvin. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, there's a couple of quick takeaways. Like, you know, Kevin Sullivan looks better than he looked the rest of his career. Uh, Ron Bass was, like, kind of peaking in retrospect. And uh, Buster, it was just awesome. I mean, it was just, to me, overshadowing the, the whole situation. Yeah, both Kevin Sullivan and Buzz Sawyer, uh, they had that I'm about to explode look. But then Tommy Rich comes out and he talks about the tour coming up. And I, I always heard about the guys traveling to Michigan and Ohio by car. And I'm like, okay, that is a really long drive from Atlanta, right? But then, you know, it it makes sense. It's like, okay, well, first night's in Huntington, West Virginia. That's not too bad a ride. Then Huntington, West Virginia into Ohio. Well, that's not too bad. Then Ohio back into Michigan. That's not too bad. Of course, Michigan to Atlanta kind of sucks, but you do what you got to do. Right. But again, um, I mean, for me, my main takeaway wasn't that level of minutia, but it was just like uh, Buzz Sawyer is really angry. And, uh, you know, again, at the time, he may have seen like unhinged lunatic with 40 years of hindsight and all of our insider information that we have the privacy to now. We can confirm that he was an unhinged lunatic. So it's just like it's that to me that was dominating the, the conversation. And it was. He's one of those guys that's not what he said. It's more how he said it. And he was just kind of um, exuding that I am really going to beat your ass and I'm just out of control. And he was. 
Yeah, I mean, and minutiae is what this show is all about. But I mean, Buzz got crazier and crazier over time. I mean, by the time 1983 came, you know, the guy really came across as someone who was completely out of control, like even worse than now. Right. So on the surface, he seemed like he was out of control. But we know now that deep down, he was also happened to be out of control. Yes, the Buzz Sawyer stories are legendary, uh, and I think they're pretty much just getting started right about now. Well, maybe not. I mean, the guy, there are high school stories about Buzz Sawyer. What am I talking about? Yeah. I mean, but just imagine you're Ole, you're just saying, you're, you've got this many minutes with Tim Horner, and the angle is that you're beating the crap out of him so bad that, you know, someone's got to come out and do something about this because you're almost going to get disqualified. And I think that was part of the announcement. Uh, that was part of what Gordon Sully was saying. He's he's risking uh, an excess, um, excessive roughness. What was it? Uh, unnecessary roughness. Unnecessary roughness. It's like old school football terminology, right? Like, yeah, you're risking like an unnecessary roughness disqualification, which is just like unheard of. You know? <laughs> like, no, I wrestling. During during uh, the second, I believe it was the second time he picked him up. It was right before Garvin came in. Nick Patrick got in Buzz Sawyer's face, and when you heard him use the word disqualify, but it made sense. You know, yes. I mean, I'm like I'm watching it in the moment. I'm like he's just beating the hell out of this guy, and then it goes on for you know many more excruciating minutes. Yeah, and it, it, I always laugh at the, uh, the the thing in pro wrestling. I mean, I first saw it when I first started watching. Like you've won the match, but you pick the guy up because you're still you feel like beating him up some more. And I mean, as, as so I would that's something I would never do, even if I was a bad guy wrestler. But anyway, get the win, get your money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get out of there. Don't let the, don't let a, a fluke happen. But anyway, we liked the mass superstar and super destroyer interview so much. When they came out again, we're gonna play it for you. Here we go. Let me take a moment right now to talk to the Super Dean. All those towns you just mentioned right there, Mr. Soli, there's just one person I hope shows up up there. And that's that big Georgia stud he calls himself, Ron Fuller. I got a score to settle with you, Mr. Fuller. And you just come on up to some of them northern towns, and I'll take care of you up there. You know, tomorrow night at the Omni. Over right? right here in the Omni. You're looking at the National Tag Team Championship, fellas. All these individuals say they're tough. Well, they've got to prove it to two individuals, two men. I don't care who you're talking about. Stan Hanson, yeah, you're tough. Ole Anderson, the big Tennessee stud, Leroy Brown, we're the champions. And tomorrow night in the Omni, we're coming after that $25,000. All right, quick, good interview, just getting over the Omni show and the tour. You know, we were talking about it, it was sad that, like, masks went out of style uh, for Mass Superstar. I think the same goes for Super Destroyer. I mean, he was a top guy in Georgia, and then as time went on, he went further and further down the card in Georgia and then in Mid-South. But he was really good. And I don't, I don't doubt that he was really good overall. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to you on this, but in this moment, um, I'm going to disagree, and I'm going to have to... <laughs> it seems like I'm just cheating on this Super Destroyer, but let, let me get this clear. Like he just basically said something to the effect of all those towns. You just listen, Mr. Sully hope I see Ron Fuller at, at all of them. Aren't you not supposed to talk about going around the horn with your feud? You were not supposed to make it obvious. You were fighting the same guys every night. No. And that's a good right. point. So wasn't he just, wasn't he just doing that? It's like, you want everybody in each town. to think this is a blow off if anything, right? You yeah, want and, everyone and to think you're getting a unique show. Yeah, definitely. So I wonder if like Ole pulled him aside and cut a promo on him after this that we'll never get to hear. Uh, so for me, that was that's kind of like again, I'm just I'm being nitpicky because I know I'm like overall I'm just gushing over this whole show, but I'm I'm trying to be fair at the same time, and I just think that that was not up to the level. Now, I I mean I just heard it. Did he say I hope I see you in every town? Yeah, he was saying all those towns. You just listen, Mr. Soli. I mean, if 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 we if we can play it back, no, nah, <laughs> I don't, back, I don't but, play it back. But you know, if he said it I was something to that effect, it was like, if, if all those towns you just listed, I hope I see Ron Fuller at all of them. That was my takeaway from uh, that. Sorry, you know, I, that I, from I can interview. see that. I can see that because because you're right. You're not even supposed to hope that's not going to happen. Yeah, um, and then once again, you know, Mass Superstar comes and makes a save. Of course, <laughs> Mass Superstar with a standard, you know, very good to elite level of doing everything. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was a huge fan. I mean, and he was he was a great heel. But anyway, next up, we have a match. Les Thornton against Brad Armstrong. Now, 1982, I, this is a confession, okay? I used to think that Les Thornton was boring. I mean, when the guy came on TV and he wrestled, I thought it was boring. Now, I no longer think that. I got smartened up to how great Les Thornton was a long time ago, like probably 87, okay? That said, I think this sounds like a great match. Les Thornton against Brad Armstrong. Wow. But for me, it was a bit slow, and I thought there was a little bit too much mat work for my taste. I'm going to respectfully disagree again. I mean, I, I appreciate the mat work. I'm going to give you a specific timestamp in the YouTube one minute. Well, I'm sorry. One hour, 39 minutes, 25 seconds. You know, Les has him like down on the mat. He's got like his arm cranked behind his head. I guess you call it a half Nelson. And he throws this nasty punch right into his gut. And, you know, there's a, there's a Brock Lesnar MMA match. I think that's where his, his second match against, uh, I forget the guy that beat him with a, uh, some kind of uh, submission out of nowhere when he wasn't paying attention. And then his second match, he beats him, but he, he, he had his Frank Muir. Um, at some point he like, he, he kind of like gets his arm away from his head and he just beats on him. And this just makes logical sense to me because Les Thornton knows that, you know, close fist punches are illegal, but if I get in one, the referee's not going to disqualify me. I thought this was quality work. I thought it was brilliantly done. I don't want to make it sound like I hated the match. I, I didn't hate the match. I thought it, in parts, like I said, there was too much mat work. But Roddy Piper made a really good point. I would say right around the seven or eight minute mark in this match. He's like, the whole match, these guys have been in contact with each other. It's been nonstop. And as someone who's watching, I'm like, okay, that's a really good point. And he's right. What they're doing is, you know, for what it is, it's really good. Roddy Piper has been excellent throughout. I did think it was hilarious when Gordon Soli mentioned something to the effect of like, well, he read us wrestle the British style. So it's going to be like more Matt oriented and Roddy, you're familiar with that. You're Scottish, you know, like, and Roddy's like, I mean, how did he, how did he, how did he pass himself off as like Scottish born when he's got like, he's got less of an accent than how many fake Russians over the years. Uh, I have thought of that many times at Roddy Piper. Uh, you know, I think he was really born in Scotland, but he was raised in Canada. But he, he played up the Scottish gimmick to the, you know, the 10th degree. And you're right, you know, not even a little bit of an accent. One thing Piper did in this match was great. He and Bob Armstrong had started feuding, I want to say, like the very beginning of 1982, like early January. And Piper's doing commentary, and he is taking subtle shots at Bob Armstrong. Like, Brad Armstrong would get in a really good move, and Piper's like, oh, I can tell he's been watching my matches more than his dad's. Well, not just that, but, I mean, again, it just, to me, it's just awesome in terms of, and, again, this is where, like, you know, people trash, and I'm going to keep relating to WWF, but I'm a big Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura pairing fan. And and Jesse would have those moments where he's just like, I'm the one calling it down the middle. I will give credit to either side. And this is Piper doing the same thing. He's just like, that was a good move. Well played. And then he subtly goes into, but you know, I taught him that move. Um, and I think I know it's the, the, the sequence that you're talking about, because also to Soli's credit, he goes on, <laughs> you know, Piper says something like reminds me of myself. Obviously he's using moves that I invented. And then Soli, unlike Gorilla Monsoon, which I understand, like, you know, now I understand watching this, like why people, I think you yourself are not the biggest Gorilla Monsoon fan, but in response to that, Gorilla would have said something like antagonistic, like, will you stop? And, yes. and Gordon just, he seemingly ignores it, but then doesn't ignore it because he keeps the focus on the match. He lets Piper do his thing. And then he subtly brings back like, well, you know, wrestling thousands of years old, there's cave paintings, like, he subtly implies that, like, obviously, you, you haven't invented anything, but, you know, to kind of keep his journalistic integrity without just sabotaging the commentary of the match. 
once again, we're using that word subtle, and there was so much subtlety in, in these two hours of wrestling. It, it was phenomenal. One other thing I've noticed, I don't remember this in 1982, but how many guys on this show do we see with like these giant REO Speedwagon perms, like Brad Armstrong, Jim Garvin, a couple of uh, Tom Pritchard, a couple of the jobbers? I do not remember this being in style. Not sign of the times. Exactly, <laughs> but, but I mean, I, yeah, I mean, is it and is it subtlety or subtlety? We're, we're we're not here for our grammar expertise. <laughs> but I mean, it was just it was just like I cannot I cannot understate the amount of like just just mastery of just like you're Gordon, you're holding the line, you're like a journalist that is respected in the field, and you have integrity. And this guy's saying something against the mainstream, you know, common belief. And you're going to restate it without kind of coming after him and undermining the show and saying like, you know, but tomorrow night at, uh, at Halloween Havoc, you know, like you're not over, you, you're not like putting yourself above the show. You're not like trying to sell something above what people are seeing in the screen in front of them at that moment. And it's just like, man, like, I mean, if you can't appreciate that, like that, that's your problem. That is an that is an excellent point. You're right. They didn't try when the wrestling match was on. They were talking about the wrestling match, and then between the matches, they were trying to get you to the Omni, to the Hara Arena, wherever. By the way, we got one more audio with Dusty Rhodes. Uh, let's bring that on now. And uh, the gentleman with me right now has uh, seen many a wrestling ring in his day, and many more coming up. Dusty Rhodes. God, how come every time I come out here, Rodney Piper has to go to the bathroom? Or he got to go powder his nose? Or he got to go get some lunch? You know, whether it be Ole Anderson, whether it be Sergeant Slaughter, or whether it be in Carolina, whether it be in Ohio, whether it be in Georgia, whether it be in Louisiana, whether it be in Roanoke, wherever it's at. Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, is always looking to be cooking, you understand? And I'm always cooking, shucking and jiving, peeping in the hide. That's right. That's right. And now then it's, it's forced upon me. It's all said. It's, it's I'm getting cards and letters. The fable, dragon, flash, dragon, dragon, whatever kind of match it is. Dragon shot. See, they know. They know. Well, tomorrow night at the Omni, it's all going to come right down. Here we go. They're going to be, they're going to give me a stick. They're going to give me a stick, Jack, about five foot long. And they're going to give me a big old bad glove. And then they're going to give me Gary Hart, the master of destruction, with the great Kabuki, the most evil wrestler ever to set foot in Atlanta, Georgia, or in the Omni. And tomorrow night is my chance at destiny with the stick, the equalizer, as the man said, the equalizer. Eliza is in my corner. I have never been in anything like this in my life. Don't know if I want to be in it again. But what it will be is the most exciting time you ever see in Gary Hart, no matter how evil you are. No matter how bad you are. No matter how wicked you are. When I get through beating Kabuki with that stick, I'm going to take it and jam it right up your... Hey, back. Another great interview with Dusty Rhodes. I always loved it when Dusty brought up or when someone would bring up non-Georgia names like Sergeant Slaughter, like Dusty just did. Uh, I mean, what did you think of that interview, Vincent? So, uh, number one, obviously, it's Dusty. Like, I'm I'm popping for it as he's, he's just so full of charisma. But if I'm Gordon Soley, like, how do you keep a straight face when he drops in that, um, that Rodney Piper... Do you got to go to the bathroom or to get his lunch or do you got to go powder his nose? I mean, Gene Oakland gets all this credit on YouTube comments for keeping a straight face for so many uh, interviews, but he's always kind of selling, he's selling the inside joke, <laughs> you know? So obviously Rodney Piper was in a mountain of cocaine in the back room. So <laughs> it was just like, it was just, I was just like, how does he, and I had to replay it to just like, is he pinching his tongue? And I, I know we're over like two one hour segments now and I'm just, I'm going into minutiae here, but it's no, just that's like, all right. 
I thought it was worth mentioning. And then real quick, the, the very last uh, match, uh, Brian Armstrong versus Les Thornton. Real quick, just like the fact that, um, again, this was, this was the first and only draw on the card. It puts over young Brad. It doesn't take away from your junior heavyweight champ. Doesn't piss off your audience. You don't have people rolling their eyes saying, oh, another indecisive fish finish. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm putting over the whole card. I just think that these little things, as they add up, it's just like, it's just multiplier on top of multiplier. And just like, wow, credit to Ole. And what a, what a fantastic just, and this is just a regular TV show. Not a big, it's not a big pay-per-view. No, it's the the it's the same show you got every Saturday in in 1982. There, I picked one out at random, literally at random. Oh, yeah. YouTube, this is on YouTube. We'll do this one. Um, so again, and, if if wrestling was not a work, you would expect a realistic distribution of outcomes, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. Yeah, and the draw was really even though he didn't win the title, the draw was kind of a win for Brad Armstrong in a weird way. And the whole Rodney Piper thing was its own angle. Like Roddy would get he he tried not to show emotion, but he got really mad when someone called him Rodney. He's like, it's it's yeah, Rod, I mean, it's, it's, it's an onion. There, there, there's there's layers to peel off. And just for me, like just having grown up where it's just like you have promotions that you have the obvious fingerprint of a particular booker at the moment that is just so obvious that even if you're not smart in the business, you're like annoyed, like it's late nineties and like there's a run in every five seconds. Every match has a run in every match is, you know, uh, indecisive finish or your early two thousands. And it's just like ruthless aggression uh, era and every match is a 50, 50 match. And here, I just, I really appreciate just, you know, from the context of the life that I've lived watching pro wrestling, it's like, this is the one that like comes closest to reality. Yeah, this is the stuff I absolutely fell in love with. All right. Gary Hart, who is the manager of the great Kabuki, has a retort for Dusty Rhodes. Let's hear that. Wish a special uh, speedy recovery to a great wrestling aficionado up in Sandusky, Ohio. George Canales had a little accident and a special happy birthday, too, to Sadie Fendig. 100 years old from uh, Buckhead, Georgia. And I see now that Mr. Gary Hart uh, has joined us here. I heard you out here talking, Dusty Rhodes, about how good you are and how many different people that you can put out of business. Yes, in your particular match, you are fantastic. Like when you whacked my eye, you were big and you were tough. People like Wahoo McDaniels, you're really tough when it comes to the strap, aren't you? Stan Hansen, when it comes to knocking people around, him and Ole Anderson, and putting on holds, they're very good. But remember one thing, Dusty Rhodes, the boogeyman comes from B Street in Singapore, the melting pot of sin. You come from Austin, Texas. You talk. We don't play, brother. And when it comes to Kabuki's type of match, not you, you great big overstuffed, belly wallowing, self-sacrificing fool. You will find, brother, because let me tell you, I take out my gold watch and I look down and I realize for you, the American dream, the R is growing late. Look at the eye, Rhodes. Wait till Kabuki gets his hands on you, brother. You're gonna pay. You're gonna pay heavy. And that's my guarantee, Gordon. Fair enough. Let's turn it to the ring, please. Okay, couple of things. Number one, how great is it that Gordon is wishing a fan well after uh, wishing him well after a car wreck? And congratulating someone on their 100th birthday. I mean, you know that whoever that woman is, you know, one of her children wrote into TBS and said, hey, can you do this for my mom? And and now she's being talked about on national cable. Number two, Gary Hart. I have always kind of been on the fence about Gary Hart. He was okay in world class, in my opinion. He was not that good at all in the NWA in 1989. He is as good as any manager has ever been right here and right now. That was a phenomenal promo. 
And, and I'm not in a position to purport to give a holistic uh, appraisal of Gary Hart, but you know, I read his book. I've heard the good and bad about him, and just looking at this in isolation, yeah, I agree. Awesome promo. I like what I'm seeing him out of him here, and it just everyone is working together to push for the narrative in some respect of just this is real. This is all just reality, and if it was reality, then you would talk about things like. Different people have different skill sets. Of course, a boxer is going to beat you at boxing. Of course, if you're Wahoo McDaniel and your your skill set is the Indian strap match, you're going to be better at that. So I just think those everything is just for me. That's what's pushing the ball forward here. It's just it's rooted in reality. They're all pushing towards the same common goal. Yeah, and we were lucky enough to get one of these every seven days. I mean, it was just a, a great time. And you know, like I said, Gary Hart right here and now is as good as any manager has ever been. I mean, two phenomenal promos. He's got one more to go. Unfortunately, we don't have it. I'll talk more about that later. Next up, we have Hangman Rick Harris against Ken Timms. Two bigger guys, a little bit slower moving. Not saying it was a bad match, but it was nothing special. No, I agree. And I thought this is where it starts to get odd to me because I'm expecting, you know, maybe this is my recency bias. As we get towards the end of the show, you're going to build to the finish. And it just, here's two mid carters at best, or probably jobbers this late in the show. And it just, but despite all that, I mean, again, Piper's on top of his A game. He's on his A game. He's getting strategic advice. He has one exchange where he's talking about, you know, don't attack the, the center of mass on a big guy. Like, you know, go for the ankle, go for the wrist go for something small first, break him down. And that's, you know, again, just again, the show as a whole, keeping it moving forward in the correct direction for me. I agree with you about the placement of this match. And I remember, you know, I don't remember the specific specific moment, but I do remember, you know, the two hours, like towards the end of it, it could feel kind of long. You've been sitting there for a while and now I've got to watch this match. You know, they were jobbers in Georgia and I really do have to question the placement of this. So I finally have a negative word to say about this show. Same here. I mean, like, I don't know where this fits in. And again, it's, it's, it's a backhanded compliment because if this is, we're this deep in and we've talked about this much and we're going on over two hours and this is like, you know, negative comment number two. Yeah, exactly. And then we have the final match, Kevin Sullivan and Ron Bass against Tom Pritchard and Ron Horn. Uh, They have announced that, Kevin Sullivan will now be fighting Jim Garvin at the Omni. Uh, Ron Bass is going to team up with Kevin Sullivan, and that's why they're out here. So now we've got that super grudge match heading into tomorrow night. Um, I thought this was a good match. I mean, you know, end of the show, and these guys kept it moving. Yeah, it was it was a good um, – for me, it was – no, that wasn't the end of the show. I thought there was a Playboy Rose versus Rip Oliver versus Jobbers match after this. You are correct. I apologize for that. But there was, um, I mean, just in the sense that like, you know, a Kevin Sullivan was like in his prime Ron Bass, big, tough looking, scary dude that, um, in retrospect, I mean, I have a random memory. I'm like biking to work and I'm like thinking like, who's that guy that I had a memory of. I forgot he existed at certain points. Cause he went on to WWF and they probably did. He probably got lost in the shuffle but he's just an impressive guy in his own. And, and I have my own memory and you have your version of this memory of um, he takes the spur and he's like cutting the guy and there's a big X on the screen and I'm getting close as a six-year-old or whatever, seven-year-old trying to look around the X. I did that. Sure that was a, yeah. I did that with Baron Von Rask. I was like 12 years old. I mean, at least, at least you were six. I was older. There was a rinse and repeat. Yeah. There was a rinse and repeat angle on this. But Ron Bass, I can see, like, he's got he's got inherent merit. Like, he's a big, scary-looking dude. He, he can cut a good promo. He seems legit. He can just, you know, be big badass. And um, and it's just a shame that, like, what happened to him afterwards. Like, I'm seeing him here being used well. You know, other than that, it's like, you know, Pritchard doing a double shot is kind of like, I think, you know, again, it's a minor negative on the show. It kind of makes it seem like a little bit lower grade than it needed to be. And I, and I, I knew who was winning this. Like, it was obvious who was going to win. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was wrestling, though. I mean, but now I had no problem with the guys doing two matches in one night that that seemed doable. 
But yeah, I mean, you know, so far we have a really great show. Okay, final match of the show was Buddy Rose and Rip Oliver against Mike Jackson and Rick Thor. Mike Jackson gets a lot of credit for perhaps being the best jobber of all time. And he really states his case during the show. He had a fantastic match against Tom Pritchard, and he really does a great job in this match. Yeah, he deserves it. Might as well be an MMA fighter. Again, he's he's in there. He's taking shots. He's giving shots. And he's putting in way more work than if it was a work would make logical sense. Yeah, I mean, you always looked at him and said, okay, he's he's a small guy. I was saying that in 1982. He's small compared to the rest of the wrestlers. but And I didn't know what work rate was in 1982, but I knew that this guy always had a good match. And he just made a, a great accounting for himself during the two matches he had. He brought it, um, and he deserves credit. And I think what to this day, he's how old and, and still in there and giving and taking it. He is 72 years old as of today, and he, I just saw footage of him wrestling somewhere in Alabama. And I and I know better than to run up and, on him and try to swing on him. Uh, I, I know better myself. You know, one of my favorite things about this show, Vincent, is how much you liked watching this this product. I really did it. If I can go global again, way earlier in the show, we were talking about you had an analogy about space invaders. So again, if it's 1981 and there's you playing space invaders, is my year correct? Space invaders, uh, 81. It came out in 79, but I was still playing it in 81. So roughly in the same era, go back, go forward a couple of years, and you compare that to Legend of Zelda. You know, space invaders within a couple of seconds, you're getting some stimulus. You either you either kill the bad guys, you got killed yourself. And you had uh, a feeling of success, whereas Legend of Zelda, it was a slow build. And the only way to get that same kind of return was to put in a lot. And this show is more Legend of Zelda than Space Invaders to me, in the sense that, like, to really appreciate it, you got to kind of, like, dig into the context. And if you're willing to put it to put in that time commitment, you're going to get a big return on your investment that you're not going to get from something else that is more like, you know, it's digestible in small bits and pieces. Exactly. Uh, Vincent, I, I, you liked the show. I want to know if you liked this kind of show that we just did. Not the Georgia Wrestling Program, but a guest and myself reviewing a show with the audio. And I'd like to invite you to share those comments on our Facebook page. If you didn't like the show, don't be afraid to say you didn't like it. But it's something, you know, we're 202, 203 episodes in and, you know, I, I really that we've never done before. You know, do you want more of it? Do you not want us to do it again? I am at least going to do one more because I've got uh, not next week or the week after, but I've got uh, a show that kind of partners up with this one. But Vincent, thank you for, for sharing all of your time with us and doing two episodes of Stick to Wrestling this evening. And John, I think it's not an either or. If we can, if we can go a little deeper than that, I think it's uh, it's, there's three different issues, right? Is this good? Is this not good? Or are there pieces and parts of this that work? And I know that at some point I reached out to you and I said, I think just going deep on match analysis, which I I try to give some pieces and parts of, like here's a specific spot that worked for me and that made this good work, and that might be its own thing that might work for people. So I think that that's worth noting. But I also just want to mention just, again, to me, like the, the overall theme of just like realism that just, it was just like the go to ECW late 99. And I'm sorry if I'm still going on long and we're that's <laughs> we all right. Two, uh, 200 some shows where like, uh, we're almost at 200 minutes, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, even in ECW and I loved it at the time because it was different in the sense that like everything was a clean finish, but even is, is that realistic? Like, why, why wouldn't you have a referee that enforces rules and then in some situations you'd have a draw or you'd have something that is, like, a different result? Like, this is the closest I've seen to just a random distribution of results, and I really – I don't want to understate that. I don't want that to be lost on the audience. Like, I, that was really impressive to me. 
you know what? Not this is a, a show in, uh, in of its, itself, so I'll be brief with it. I mean, we'll, I'll put up like a result of an old WWF show, and on the second match, it'll be like you know Johnny Raw or Frank Williams beats Johnny Rods on a DQ in the second match, and someone will be like, "Oh my God, a DQ in the second match!" Well, wouldn't that happen if it was a legitimate contest? Of course, it would happen occasionally. So um, I always defend that, and I, I think you're right when you say that, Vincent. I want to thank Vincent Waller from Chicago for, for being so generous with his time. I want to thank Brian Last for giving me this forum. Lou Kippelman is so important to this show. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We'll see you next week. This concludes our podcast day. 